everyone, welcome to the Curiosity Cast, a place where we explore a variety of topics, meet interesting people, and follow our curiosity wherever it takes us. I'm your host, Allie Merrill, and thanks for tuning in. This week, I'm chatting with Alfonso Majorana, who is a filmmaker and cinematographer from Montreal, Canada. He has worked on a variety of projects, including Jack Ryan, Longshot, X-Men, Day After Tomorrow, The Great Gatsby, and Rumble, just to name a few. We talk about everything from getting into the film industry, work-life balance, the Me Too movement, his Italian heritage, and of course, his bromance with John Krasinski. I met Alfonso a few years ago at Sundance Film Festival, where my friend and I were able to be there for the premiere of his film, Rumble, which we will talk about later on in today's episode. Meet Alfonso. Hey, Alfonso, are you there? Yes, I am. Awesome. I can hear you. Yeah, great. How are you? (laughs) Good. A long time no talk. Oh, my God. (laughs) What a nice surprise. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. I think the last time we talked must have been when I asked for your advice about the Special Hope uh, project that I was doing in Zambia, which was, I think, three years ago. So, Well, yeah, I think it was the the first year I was um, in... uh, at Sundance, yeah, like in 2017, yeah. 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 With yeah. Rumble, yeah. Yeah. How have you been? Were there any productions that you were supposed to be on this summer? Uh, I was going to be. Uh, I, I actually, I was working on uh, something for Netflix. Okay. But, but but my own project, I was I was flying out to um, to Italy, to Europe, to. Uh, to start researching and writing with a co-writer that I met three years ago. And I was doing this sort of co-production, uh, writing a script with, uh, with a, a very talented young script writer from Rome. So, okay. and that fell through because of all this, this, this that's been going on. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you just get to be at home and write. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just put up pictures yeah. of Italy on your computer and get inspired. I know. I know. I know. But I mean, it, they had it, they had it really rough. You know, they were the yeah. first ones that really suffered a, a, you know, a huge loss. Uh, it was kind of, I mean, I have family there still, so it was really, very bizarre. And I was born and born and raised in in Montreal. Okay. But but my parents are both, you know, born and raised in Italy. Okay. Sort of uh, the Amalfi Coast and all that area, the southern near Naples, Amalfi, all that the whole kind of Mediterranean uh, wow. coastline. Yeah. That that looks like a gorgeous area to go to. It is. <laughs> yeah. Did you grow so, up speaking yeah, Italian? Did you learn did. Italian? Yes, I spoke. Okay. Uh, I spoke uh, only Italian in the house. Wow! And uh, and then my, you know, my my parents actually met here, uh, which is kind of funny at a film, <laughs> at a film event, which is very ironic because my dad never watches any films. Okay. But my mom is the one who's always influenced me about about films, and that's where they met. And so I, I uh, you know, they 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 met here. And uh, I always spoke Italian, but they, they, they were living in a. Uh, I was born in and raised in a in a French neighborhood because you know Montreal is eighty five percent of Montreal is, speaks French. It's a French. Right. It's a French speaking province or state, as you as you guys say. And uh, and so my dad, um, 
sent me to English school. So I was like really odd. I was like, okay, I'm speaking Italian at home with my family and my cousins, you know, the few that were around in the neighborhood. And then everybody in the streets are speaking French. And then, and then they send me to English school. I was like, wow. okay, this is very confusing. But, but, you know, when you're young, you're like a sponge. And I was like speaking three languages. I was four years old. Wow. So was, <laughs> so That's so all, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, do you mind sharing? You kind of touched on it, but um, a, a little bit about what you do for work and where that came from. I was uh, raised and born and raised in Montreal. Uh, I did a lot of sports. I was kind of a sports jock when I was a kid. I played a lot of uh, soccer. I, I ended up playing sort of semi-pro soccer when I was very young. Um, like 18, 19, I was still playing elite soccer. I, play, I played hockey till I was 18. I was like a, you know, a sports junkie. But okay. uh, but uh, my mom, uh, you know, my memories of, of how I got into film are really due to my mom, who actually, unfortunately, sadly to say, um, passed away at the end of March throughout this whole crisis that we were going through. Oh, I'm which, so sorry. Which was very difficult. Thank you. Which was yeah. really a hard thing to go through. Um, but uh, when I was very young, she she was a sort of a free spirit. My dad was, you know, very loving father, but uh, kind of a discipl disciplinarian, but very dedicated to being a father, which was great. And my mom was very much a free spirit and uh, loved watching. She was obsessed by watching movies and listening to music. And so that's all I did when I was around her, you know, besides showing me how to cook, <laughs> she would, <laughs> she would, you know, um, we, uh, the whole film thing was, was all because of her. And it actually really engraved, it was all engraved in my mind on a sort of dreamlike level when I was 11, because my, my parents decided for the first time to go back to Italy one summer to spend the entire summer in Italy where they were from. And uh, okay. it, was, it was in 19, 1977. Um, uh, I, was, I was like 11. And, um, and, uh, and my mom says, uh, okay, so we're going to go back to Italy your dad is not going to take one photo and he's not going to film. He will not film anything. So I think we're going to have to buy some material to record this trip. So, so, so she took me to this photo store in downtown Montreal, which she hardly would ever go. And she bought a Super 8 camera. She had no idea how to use it. And she bought those, you know, those, uh, those Kodak you know, uh, insta insta cameras. You know where you would mm -hmm. put like, you know, like flashers, flashes, and on top, and just, you know, you. She bought like a bunch. I'm not sure how many, like, at least twenty or something that would you, you know, throw away stuff, whatever. Anyway, it was all, and she, and she said, okay, so let's go through this whole uh, handbook and and uh, and figure out how this camera works. I was like 11. I had no idea what it was. What this. I mean, I loved movies, but yeah. I had never done anything like that. So she, she so we bought the camera and I, I truly did. didn't know what I was doing. I, I made believe that I understood. I mean, I didn't know what was going on. And my mom says, okay, she was reading and I was reading with her. And, uh, 
I remember her reading the instructions in Italian to tell me in Italian. And I was like, okay, this is really confusing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to do. But uh, uh, since most of it was so outdoors, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I couldn't really screw it up. You know, I was like filming. So I ended up filming the entire trip whenever we went to like Rome, Venice. Uh, I mean, we were in the, the Amalfi Coast sort of you know, just inland from the Malfi, which is where my parents, their, their, their uh, villages are next to each other. Okay. And we were based out of my dad's village, but we would, you know, every day travel. And that. And so I ended up taking, filming till September, like as much as I could, like, you know, and she had, luckily she was, she had the foresight of buying like so much film stock, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to put in. Yeah, she really eight. prepped you. <laughs> yeah, she did. She did. I don't know. She. I didn't think she knew what she actually was doing, but she followed. The, she was excited about it, you know. And and I didn't. I was like stressed because I didn't know if this was ever. I mean, can you imagine? Like, if I go home and then there's nothing that comes out of that three three month right <laughs> film. I was like, oh my god, you know. Anyway, so um, so when I when I um, when I decided. In, out of high school that I sort of wanted to go and film, it never felt like it was a job. I felt like it was sort of like a like a hobby or a dream. You know, I, honestly, I wanted to be a soccer player. I wanted to be like a professional athlete. That was my my dream. Oh, interesting. And I, yeah. And, and but I also was in a band because music was way more important. But then you know when they tell you, okay, what do you want to do for a job? I was like, okay, well. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I was good in school, but I, I didn't, I wasn't passionate about, um, anything except, you know, politics, music. And I thought all the films that my mom used to show me, you know, and I, I would watch and were, were very, you know, instrumental in my, um, in my whole kind of uh, upbringing of how I I saw film, you know, she she liked to watch like political films, and she's not very political, but she just liked to to sort of escape in this other people's realities, and whether it was Italian films or or um, or South American films and and, uh, and French films, and so I saw a lot of Truffaut, I saw a lot of Victoria de Sica, I saw a lot of um, I saw a lot of like great films and and Fellini films and and that was my upbringing it was all this these films that were all in black and white and seemed to have a a meaning you know like Mm -hmm. why like there was always a message behind all the films that I ever saw and I thought okay well this is what I want to do I want to do film because I I have I've got so I mean I, I grew up in a very low you know poverty-stricken neighborhood in the east end of Montreal, which was basically the poorest neighborhood in, in all of Montreal. And we just, I couldn't wait to get out of there. And so did my mom, actually. My dad was like, well, no, I'm working here. And my mom would say, well, why are we still living here? They hate us, you know. <laughs> We're not, we shouldn't be here, you know. Like, eh. But um, I think that's why I was influenced. Originally, it was all intertwined, like I could, I could identify with some of those films and then I could identify with people like, like Bob Marley and, and, and I don't know that punk music, like the clash, all that kind of stuff sort of like, 
made me kind of um, sort of a, build a little rebel in me when I was a kid, and because it was a tough neighborhood, you know, I, I was I was very athletic, and my dad didn't want me to fight about you know mm-hmm. and, and get in and to get into that stuff. And I said, well, no, Dad, I can take these guys on, you know, but he's like, no, no, there's no there's no none of that stuff here in, in our home. So uh, I had friends from every different culture, you know. Um, both the French speaking that didn't like us, but there was a group that 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 were my best friends. So I did get find some solace in, in into that, and uh, and I think that's why I wanted film. I thought, well, maybe I can't draw. Um, I'm not. Uh, I, I write poetry. I can't. I can't. You know, <laughs> paint. But mm-hmm. maybe maybe I can do some films. And and the other thing is that I did have like. When, when sometimes my you know people would ask me when I was a kid, you know what do you want to do? And my dad was like, don't don't say anything silly, you know, like I'm like, <laughs> and I'd say, I'd say, well, well, I don't want to say I want to be a doctor because that's not what I want to be. And he'd say, well, what about a lawyer? I go, no. <laughs> and then I, but I I did say it sometimes. I would say architecture, and I, and my dad would look at me, architecture. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I, so I would have fun saying it, but never, obviously, never believing that I would ever be an architect. But there right. was something, there was something about it that I liked because every time I would watch these films that were from Europe, I just loved it because I could see all the architecture in Italy, in France, in uh, in Germany, let's say, or in uh, in all these places that were away, not in Montreal. Like I said, oh mm-hmm. wow, look at look, look at how every all these places look so different. And then the Hollywood films looked so weird because it was, what is that? It's like, it looked so theatrical. You know? mm-hmm. it, was, it was like, cause it was, I didn't know what it was, but I mean, as you become a teenager, you realize, oh yeah, this is like a studio. It's fake. Okay. Well, I'm not sure I like it that much. I mean, I like some of the films, mm-hmm. but uh, honestly, my best, my favorite American film growing up was King Creole with Elvis Presley. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but what did you like about it? What was what stood well, out about it? Because it was it, it was black and white. It was okay. a, it, it had everything that I liked. Okay, it was black and white. It was in New Orleans, and and it was this rock and roll music with this guy who was an amazing singer. Okay, and it was and and it was and was a rebel. I said, okay, wow, this is like the greatest movie, <laughs> and and it looked real because it wasn't on a in a parking lot. It wasn't in a studio, right? Right. So you, you were interested in it, you know, just from growing up around it. Um, But how did you actually learn to be a cinematographer? How did that path go for you? Uh, I think, well, when I got to university, I I, I didn't know, I I knew that I wanted to be a cinematographer because uh, I thought that my, my script writing skills were not, you know, great and i thought i mean i'm I'm 18 i mean i can't write a script i just i thought it was thought it was a it didn't make sense to me i at that time i was writing a lot of poetry and I, and i really liked photography and i liked the challenge of of like how to recreate a photo and uh, mm. with light with light and all that kind of stuff and i uh, i mean i'm not very good at uh, i wasn't very good at following the guidelines of photography or cinematography i just liked experimenting and learning by my mistakes you know mm-hmm. I, I i didn't i wasn't very 
I mean, I suffered from dyslexia when I was a kid. So it, every time I was in class, it was like, well, I don't understand anything <laughs> like, you know, reading a, reading stuff. So I, I always, um, I always liked uh, watching films and particularly learning about how light would come into a room. And, and I think when I was in film school in Montreal, um, one of my professors was, who was uh, from Greece, who was a Greek photographer. And I liked his idea of cinematography and, or, or just plain photography. And, mm-hmm. and he, he kind of gave me a bit of confidence. He said, like, you know, don't think if you take a photo that it's a bad photo. Um, you know, like never be satisfied with one angle, try many angles. I always remember him telling me that, like, you mm-hmm. know, and try something completely silhouette and try something completely, you know, too much light. And so that you learn, you know, don't, if, if, if you don't want to listen, if you don't want to read the instructions and the theories and it gets you confused, then just, just go out and do it. And that's what I did. And I think that mm-hmm. to me gave me a lot of, a lot of confidence in terms of developing a style and a love for cinematography. And, and then you, you can start telling stories again, because of architecture and light and, and where the camera goes. And I, I always, it's still, it's funny. It's still today. Like when I'm either I'm working as a cinematographer or as a, as an operator, camera operator on these big Hollywood films, the first thing, the first thing I ask the director is, okay, where do you want the camera? Like, and, and then I, and then it's all, I don't know. Like, how about here? Well, what do you mean? How about here? Like, why do you want it here? Like, what are you telling? Mm-hmm. How do you, how are you telling the story in that scene? And a lot of directors, uh, I mean, they, they're, they're working though, but they, they don't really, they don't have that upbringing. They, they, right. they come from something else, which is fine. Everybody, but I, I've always admired people like Orson Welles and who I think is, probably the, the greatest filmmaker ever. What are some of the project that, projects that you feel most proud of or, um, yeah, happy with how they turned out? Or happy even with just your role in helping guide the, the direction of the movie? Oh, uh, I think uh, I'd be uh, remiss if I, can't, if I wouldn't say that my, 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 my films that I did were, were where I had the biggest sort of like um, um, joy, you know, in mm-hmm. doing, because you'd never think you can actually do a film and it's the hardest thing to do um, because you, you have to really, I mean, you, you're worried about if anyone's going to like it or not. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but, it's very uh, vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, it's a very vulnerable state. And I, and I remember the feeling uh, and there's, and the, you know, there's critics that, that, you know, will destroy it if they don't like it. But uh, I really didn't care. And I think it's, I think it's because of, I have to say it's because of my mom. Like she would, I always felt that whatever I did, it didn't matter if it was right or wrong. It's just the fact that you did it. Mm -hmm. And and for me, uh, doing my first short films out of university, because I did do, a couple of my own films in university. My first film that I ever did was an animation film, which was by choice. Huh. And um, 
because I thought that was the best way to learn and tell the story just by myself. I didn't need anybody. Mm-hmm. It was just me. <laughs> and uh, I think that's where you learn again and make your mistakes. And then if it's a mistake, well, it's my mistake. It's not my, you know, somebody else's. It's mine. So Right. Uh, but I think my two short films um, and, and, uh, and Rumble and uh, was obviously – great because again it was about music which i love and uh, and and again and there was a huge cause you know a use the subject matter was was uh, really important for me i grew up like a kilometer and a half from mohawk um, nation and um, again my sports my sports career brought me closer to that to to that nation because of because of the sports that I work, that I sort of practiced playing, hmm. playing baseball, playing hockey, uh, playing a bit of lacrosse. Uh, I got to have a lot of friends that were, that you sort of meet at tournaments. And then, I don't know, I, I was always, you know, there wasn't any hatred. I mean, the others didn't like it, but I loved it, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, and I could tell because, you know, um, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be like playing hockey and 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 then I would see someone that I had seen even like a year before. And I would say, hey, hi. And he'd say, hey, hi. And then I'd have a teammate say, hey, what are you doing? Don't talk to the red. Hmm. I'm like, what? And I'd say, you know, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I think those were my, my uh, selfishly, like those were my greatest moments because I felt like I could do it. Mm-hmm. And, and other films, well, uh, there's there's a lot. I mean, I I, I, I did a lot of uh, as a as a cam as a camera operator. There's another satisfaction because when you work on certain films, you're allowed to to play with a lot of technology and or you have more material, like a lot of techno cranes and a lot of dolly shots and all that kind of stuff. And that excites me all the time because movement mm-hmm. of the cat, you know, when the camera's moving, then I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm telling a long story with the camera. If I'm just if the camera static, I feel like uh, it's not about, about the movement and, and about the, the poetic part of film, you know? So I, I can't say offhand, which films, you know, um, I did work on X-Men Dark Phoenix, which was, great because I got to work with an amazing, amazing director of photography named uh, Mauro Fiori, who, who won an Oscar for Avatar. And uh, yeah. I really enjoyed working on, on that film. Uh, I don't work often on the big, big studio films because there's a lot, at times there's a lot of like, you know, green screen, but I, I've done, I've done many, but I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't particularly like it as much. Okay. But he, but he's a filmmaker as well as a DP, and and there was always something you know, a little more uh, passionate and artistic about him that I that I uh, that I that I connected. In fact, we become you know really close friends. He's born in Italy, but grew up in Chicago, uh, and uh, you know we had a lot of things in common. So then it seemed like we we met, and then we connected, and then you know you know he encouraged as much artistic you know freedom to do a shot and and that was great so that was a really 
it was a great experience because I, I thought, well, at least I got to do a big film like this and, and somehow I got to express and share some artistic ideas with a director of photography who was really talented. You know? Right. And you know, that was great. So you mentioned Rumble um, and that was at your screening or I guess prior to your screening, that's where we met was at Sundance um, yes. when that premiered. So would you mind sharing just, I'm curious why you felt like that story specifically needed to be told. I know you have an interest in music, um, but yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Well, you know, uh, I think, um, to be blunt, I think this, it needed to be made because it's, it basically is the true and original history of music. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the fact that it's being told by an indigenous point of view, not mine, I'm sort of the, I'm sort of like the messenger. And so, so was, uh, you know, Catherine Bainbridge, the co-director and producer. Uh, but I was, you know, I co-wrote and I co-directed and, and I was the cinematographer for the film, but I thought that, you know, it it was it was about time that we could sort of retrace music history, and mm-hmm. by doing by retracing music history, it it, it brings it, it it sort of retraces American history, and and history begins with indigenous history. So so I thought it was like okay, this is like the most unique opportunity to tell a story uh, that's bigger than just music. You know? mm-hmm. uh, and, but it was important because, you know, the film needed to honor the, the contribution of indigenous culture, indigenous, indigenous music, music, which was long overdue. And, uh, and throughout the film, you see that the banning of music was a big part of American history, banning, you know, um, ghost dancing, banning drumming, you know, this was part of this sort of cultural genocide that was going on in America. Mm-hmm. And, and then of course it also became a cult, uh, a territorial genocide by taking away their land. And I thought, I remember saying, you know, well, Everyone, I mean, if I ask you or if I ask any, your parents or anyone, our neighbors, if they wake up in the morning and listen to, to the music and start loving the beat and loving, loving the, uh, the lyrics, but you don't see the face or the, you don't see the person behind that music. But what if that person is indigenous or, or half mm-hmm. indigenous, half African-American or any other culture mix, you know? Uh, are you going to, I mean, are people going to acknowledge that maybe as an artist, I mean, I mean, if you're an artist, I'm an artist, we're, we're, we're inspired and by our cultural roots. And Mm -hmm. if I make a, if I make a film or if I write some poetry, I mean, chances are I have my Italian roots, maybe my Canadian roots and my indigenous roots because Canada is indigenous land, you know? So, so something's going to come out of that, but, that's definitely from my from my upbringing. So if if Jimi Hendrix is making music and it sounds incredible, did I mean he was inspired by his grandmother and his uncles and aunts on a reservation, and this is where he learned music. He didn't 
he learned music through his grandmother's side of the family, which mm-hmm. is which is the indigenous side. So I think you know the, the whole story, of course, of Rumble is is almost is basically is a very common story. It's the story, for instance, of our executive producer Stevie Salas, who's who's uh, you know uh, in the film as uh, our uh, as one of the icons that we celebrate and who's uh, indigenous as well. And, you know, that's his story as well. He didn't realize, oh, maybe I'm playing music like this because, because, yeah, I'm indigenous. You know, I'm not black. People thought he was black. People thought he was white. Right. But, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's sort of the same with, as you saw the film, if people have seen the film, taboo. You know, he just realized, well, I'm dancing this way. I thought I was dancing this way because I was Latino. But no, I'm dancing this way because oh my god, he goes on the reservation and he's and the, the exact dance moves are like his cousins and his relatives on his mom's side of the family, mm-hmm. not on the Mexican side. But he, I mean, he loves both and he embraces both cultures. But that part of the of the dancing and his art form is is I mean, it's it's incredible. You just mash it together and that's where it comes from so i think it was it was um it was a way like through music that we could teach and raise awareness about you know the the history of indigenous culture and and their contribution to music it's it's, it it literally is the missing chapter of of music and literally like i'd be i'd be filming on the street with uh Alvin uh, Youngblood Hart, for instance, in near Clark, uh, Clark, uh, Clarksdale, Mississippi, or actually I think it was near Jackson at one point, and these two young adults pull up in a car, you know, and they're like, they ask me, they roll down the window and they say, "Hey, what are you? Hey, brother, what are you? What are you filming?" You know, and they see that I'm, I have a film camera, and there's like an African-American brother who's also, of course, indigenous, who's Choctaw. Mm-hmm. But, and they're like African-American. And I said, oh, I'm making a documentary on music. They're like, the blues? I go, well, not just the blues. And then I say it. I go, oh, it's about the influence of indigenous uh, artists on music. And, and then they walk out of the car. And I'm thinking, oops, did I say something <laughs> wrong? <laughs> uh-huh. And they go, my aunt is Chickasaw. This, my cousin here, his dad is Cherokee. And I thought, yes, this yeah. is, this is powerful. They were so proud wow. of their indigenous roots. In fact, that same, within minutes, they, they invited me to a concert uh, that was, uh, I think it was like four days later where, and he said, and he said, and he, they named all the five blues artists and they also named what nation they were from. Hmm. And I was like, wow, okay, this is really good. <laughs> you know, That's probably when you knew you were on the right track. Yes, of, yes. Or, or it sort of solidified that in your mind, I'm sure. Well, yeah, and it also, it, it also was a, like it was really the divide. Like when you're, on, when you're in Jackson, Mississippi, when you're outside of New Orleans, they're secretly telling you this, right? When you step into New Orleans, when you drive to New Orleans, they're not shy. They're going to tell you straight mm-hmm. out because it's a different, it's, it's, they're not, you know, it's a little, they have a little more freedom to say 
that they're Native American as well. You know, mm-hmm. like like the Neville brothers. They're like, yeah, yeah. You know, Beyonce is like Cherokee. I know her. I know her mom. I'm like, wow. what? Beyonce is Cherokee? Of course, we all know she's Cherokee. So we tried to call her, but she was pregnant and we couldn't get her. But still, you know, <laughs> but, you know, it's it, but you see that like Mississippi is like, you know, they want to tell you in secret because they're still worried. Hmm. It, there's still that oppression of being it was it was tough enough to be, you know, African-American. But if you were Native American, it was worse, right. you know, and if you were mixed, well, then you had to make a choice. I'm either Native American or African American. And if you stood up for your roots, well, you were on the res. Wow. And if you weren't, well, you were African American, but you had no rights. But you, you know, you you had a house, maybe. Well, and that story needed, it sounds like it really did need to be told. And I learned a ton from that documentary that I had no idea about before. And it was, I think what stood out to me was that... Um, so many people were invested in the success of it and and saying yes to being in the documentary that they just saw the value in people needing to hear the history of music and really where it came from or you know maybe would you say is it, is it about american music specifically or you I, I don't remember if it differentiated um to internationally as well yeah i think i think it it i mean it's that's a really good question i you know, sometimes I feel like it's not about American music, mm-hmm. but uh, I can't be uh, snobby about that because it is, I guess, the roots of American music. But at the same time, there was music before, and that music was indigenous. Right. You know, they, right. the indigenous people were the first that were enslaved in in what we know as America, right, in North America. They were the first people that were enslaved, and then there was the, the trade you know, with slavery in terms of all the slaves from Senegal that came over to to the U.S. and and they sent Native Americans back. You know, not that many because they they knew the land; they could hide and all that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, so there was a, there was music before, and 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 then when people like that are together uh, and they share the same struggles, well, they share something right they share a lot of them intermarried a lot of them shared their music mm-hmm. but the basis of like what we know today is like uh, jazz and rock and roll and all that well you have to say that it's like the indigenous music and the beat and the culture is that's what it is i mean the african right. the african beat is a different beat it's a beautiful beat that that also finds its way, you know, through music, probably even more so today now, you know, mm-hmm. than than, uh, than before. Uh, but I, but you know, uh, but I think, yeah, I think it's the roots of American music. I think you mm-hmm. you can't deny that um, indigenous contribution is part of the roots of, of American music. I hope so. Um, oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, no. I, don't, I mean, I, I'm not. A, I'm not. I'm not a scholar. I'm just. I'm just. Well, I'm, you know a lot more than a lot of other people. That's for sure about it. You spent a long time on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, do you have any funny or? Because, uh, I mean, I'm on the 
fringes of the film industry. I've done just, you know, small, small work in my own city. Um, but the big studio films or those big shoots feel like a whole other world to me. Um, do you have any funny moments or crazy stories to share from different shoots that you've done or being on set or with, you know, interesting people that you've worked with that stand out? When I first started out, uh, I was very shy. And, and at that time, they asked me to be a, first they asked me to be a driver. And I'm like, I'm not a driver. I was like starting out in film, you know, and I was like mm -hmm. looking to be a camera assistant to start off. But the, there was already a camera assistant and they didn't have the budget for like a, a trainee. So I said, well, listen, you don't have to pay me for a trainee, but give me a car and I'll be happy. I'll come to work for free and just give me a car. So they said, okay, sure. So they, oh, okay, great. And then they said, well, now that you have a car, <laughs> do you mind like driving, you know, one of the actors only in the morning and at night when he, when he, when he raps, mm -hmm. but you can still be on set and be a camera trainee. I said, well, okay, sure. I'll do it. But, but does that mean like, uh, you know, you guys pay my gas and all that. Yeah, yeah we're going to pay your gas. We're going to give you even a, like, a, a, like a little per diem like a, as a pay just so it wasn't mm -hmm. for absolute freedom because I was doing two jobs. So, 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 I, so this is like, there's like two crazy stories and I hope I don't go too long. But anyway, they're pretty funny. So I, I end up picking up Eric Roberts <laughs> and bringing him to, to, to his hotel, but immediately having to tell him, okay, uh, we got to go do a, a, you know, a doctor's examination before you start working tomorrow. He goes, oh, yeah, okay, well, whatever. Where is it? I go, well, come with me. I'm, I'm like 20 years old. I'm like really yeah. 21. And, uh, and, he, and But he's very cool. He's like, you know. And so, so I bring him to the doctor's office. Honestly, Ali, like it's on the seventh floor. And I'm going, <laughs> okay. I go there, and I, and I, I see him walking in, right? And I sit down, and I'm outside the door of the doctor. And, yeah. and the secretary's there, and she says, you know, you want, you want some coffee? And so I'm like, no, no. And then she goes, do you want some magazines to read? I go, yeah, sure. So she gives me some magazines and I start reading the magazines. And I'm like, okay, so I'm reading five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, 20. Wow, this is a lot, like a long examination for an actor, you know? Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, like, shit, it's like 45 minutes. So I get up and I go to the second, I go, I go, uh, how long does this take, you know? Oh, well, Mr. Roberts left. I go, what? Where did he go? Well, I don't know. He, he left. You didn't. I'm like, <laughs> no. So then I, 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 I scramble and I'm literally walking around town, downtown Montreal, looking for Eric Roberts. Oh, my God. Now, I literally like graduated university not too long ago, <laughs> Ali. So I'm like, okay, this is what I get for like studying I'm like a university grad and I'm like chasing right. some, du some dude. This is like loser time. I'm a loser. I'm, I'm quitting film. Yeah. <laughs> so I go back. Hold up. What? Oh, no. Go ahead, go ahead. So then I'm like, okay, this is like, fuck, man. I can't do this. 
Yeah. And uh, so I, I give up. I go back to get my car. And there he is. You know where you know where the uh, where the guy is to to sort of like uh, to it's underground parking and he's like oh right yeah controlling the the barrier and like and he goes hey and he calls me Fonz he goes hey Fonz um, where were you <laughs> I'm like Eric and I'm like super shy I go oh well I was looking for you oh no no I, I was here all the time I just just went to get a little I went to get like a little a little fruit juice, and, I, and, and, and then I was just waiting for you. Are we okay? I go, yeah, yeah. So, so I drive him back to his apartment, and he says to me, he goes, uh, hey, uh, do you like my sister? I go, what? He goes, what do you think of my sister? Do you think she's a good actress? I go, yeah. Oh, okay, just, just, just want to know about it. My other sister's going to be better. You'll see. I go, okay, whatever. So then so – then, I go, okay, this guy's a bit weird. And, I'm, I, and I, it was his comeback too because he had done so much drugs and he was like, it, he was on his okay. comeback. So I, uh, I, 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 I get home, I get on the phone and I'm like, either I'm quitting the job or I, I got to do something. I can't do this. So I pick up the phone and I say, sorry, but I can't drive Mr. Roberts. Like, I mean, I lost him today. Can I, can I, just, <laughs> can I just be like the camera assistant? trainee you can take back the car like i don't care and he goes oh no no it was a woman she goes oh oh no don't worry you know what we'll just switch you get to drive diane lane i'm like i'm going what yeah yeah you you can drive diane lane and still be a trainee i'm like uh i would have said i would have been excited about it yeah before but now i'm like Okay, now I'm like I'm gonna see like the girl that looks like the most beautiful girl at the time in my life, and but I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to. Like, what if she's a freak as well? You know, like I have no idea. <laughs> and, and, and but the thing is, she's like my age. She was like 21. Okay, okay. <laughs> and and so, but I ended up having like a great relationship with her. Mm-hmm. And one day, one day it almost fell apart though, because one day, she she says, "Are you going to?" come to the rap party. I'm like, uh, nope. I have to like bring back the car. And she says, no, no, you have to pick me up and bring me to the, to the, to the rap party. And I go, well, I don't know. I don't think I can. And so then she comes out of her trailer and starts telling me like very politely, like, you have to, you have to do this for me. Like, I don't want to go by myself. I don't really, you know, you've been my driver for like three months. And then all of a sudden, George C. Scott <laughs> comes over. I've been working with him for, for three months. He's like six uh-huh. foot four. He's like six foot four. Now. And he goes, he grabs my arm. He goes, I need him. And, and she goes, no, no, no. I'm, I, I'm talking about him, George. Do you mind just, no, 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 no. This is an emergency. I need him. I'll bring him right back. And he just grabs my arm. He's huge. He's like sweetheart of a man, by the way. Yeah. Like, like amazing. Like probably like the most amazing man I've ever met at that time. And he, he but he grabs my heart. And he's like super strong. He goes, okay, listen to me. The Detroit Pistons are playing the LA Lakers. It's game seven. I'm from Detroit, Michigan. I got to watch that final game. I need a TV. Can you get me a TV outside of my trailer? Can you connect the TV? I'm like, what? 
you heard me. He goes, it's game seven tonight. My Pistons need to win. I got to watch this game while I'm working. Get me a TV. (laughs) (laughs) A university graduate. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, that's the story. Wow. Yeah, so you just, I mean, you kind of had to do, you had to do the grind for a bit, it sounds like, and just do whatever they told you and fill in their emergencies. Yeah, but I always sort of, I always wanted to make sure that that I was also doing camera, you know, like, like like I'll do that stuff once, only once, Mm -hmm. but I'm not only doing that. I'm not just driving. I'm like, I just graduated university. I don't want to drive, but I did drive. I did drive, you know, Diane Lane, which was okay. (laughs) That worked out. That worked out fine. (laughs) But, but, you know, I was like, and then she was kind of upset, you know, well, not at me, but like at George. And I'm like, fuck man. Yeah. And, and I had, and I got him a TV and he was like, he was like so happy. And he would, sometimes he'd, he'd be, he'd be doing a scene. I was like the camera trainee and like, yeah. and like, I'm not supposed to, in those days it was really like male dominated crap, you know, that I hated. Like, okay. He was like, Hey, you can't talk to the actors. I go like bullshit. You know, I can talk to them. And of course, Diane would be talking to me because I ended up being her driver. So I like, you know, obviously I'd be talking to her. She'd be talking to me. Hey, Fonz, how was your weekend? Hey, did you see this? Did you do that? Like, mm-hmm. and they were upset, you know, and, <laughs> but he would like, he'd be, he'd do a scene and then he'd turn around and go, what's the score? I'm like, 47, 41. All right. Who's, who's leading? Who's, how many rebounds does Rodman have? He, he'd be asking me this stuff. Oh my gosh. It was like so funny. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad you've graduated from those roles. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you did pretty quickly too. It sounds like you were good about drawing your boundaries too. Which seems important well, in it, the film industry. It is. And I think, you know, uh, I mean, I, I was, I didn't grow up that way. You know, my, my, my idol was my mom. And so I respected, first of all, I liked working a lot with women on set. I was, I was the first Montrealer that had a full-time second camera assistant who was female. There was no one in Montreal. Hmm. That's awesome. You know, so yeah, especially back then. Too. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I can tell you like really a brief story when I was in Vancouver, which mm-hmm. is when I studied. I studied, I left university. I studied when, when this happened, you know, I was now a camera assistant, but there wasn't that much work in Montreal. So I went to Vancouver uh, for about three, about four years. My roommate was an ex university uh, friend of mine who was from Barbados, African, right? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, Vancouver's like white, <laughs> you know, like super white, right? Mm-hmm. This is like the nineties and it was really white. And I was like, and I remember the first day that I got a job after doing, I did like a cinematography course, specialized course through, through UCLA in Vancouver. This is why I went to Vancouver in the first place. Uh, and I remember shooting a film in black and white. And then I won an award and then I got a job as in a camera assistant. So I was mm-hmm. my first day on the job with a very well-known now director of photography. He just did Game of Thrones. He did Ray Donovan. His name is okay. Rob, Rob McLaughlin, a super nice man. Uh, the first day on the job as a camera assistant, the second camera assistant, I get there and the focus puller, as I opened the door of the truck, 
I had I haven't met him right right I didn't I didn't know who he was just his name mm-hmm. he looks at me he's in the truck he says he goes are you Alfonso I go yes he goes okay well I like my eggs I, I like scrambled eggs I, I uh, a bit of bacon and um, and some beans on the side with a coffee milk two sugars I looked at him I go excuse me <laughs> what's that. He goes, that's, that's what I like for breakfast. I go, good. I don't eat that shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. He goes, I want you to go get it. He goes, no, no, I don't go get that stuff. I mean, just go get it yourself. I, first of all, I don't, yeah. you know. And then he went to complain to Rob McLaughlin, the DP. Uh-huh. And, there, and he said to me, then he came to me, he goes, he goes listen, I'm, I'm a camera assistant not a food assistant. Mm-hmm. So either I stay or you just fire me. I'm not doing that shit. Good for you. You know what I mean? That's that's tough to say when you're just getting into the industry. I mean, it's tough to say no to things when you feel like, well, I think a lot of people feel like they have to do anything and you knew what you were worth and you knew what job you were there for. And so that's pretty impressive that it, yeah, at that time you were able to do that. But you know, if you don't, if you don't stand up for yourself or have find some sort of support, you're really, it's tough. You know, I didn't, it's mm-hmm. the one thing that I never liked about the industry that I still don't. Right. Which is why I think when I think about the films that I liked, that I did, which was my parents cooked all the food, my friends were on it. Mm-hmm. it, it you know, it was a positive experience, you know. And, right. And it was like fun. yeah you know (laughs) because that's what it's supposed to be i I, i'm I'm, to me it's like being a kid you know it's like that's what i like about film it's like you don't have to you know there's so many things in life that go on that if my job could be if i'm not good at being a doctor which is what i would love to 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 have done Mm -hmm. uh, at least can i have fun and 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 have an environment that's that's fun and safe and and and, um, kind of childlike a bit but mm-hmm. you know, so have you since the me too movement um have you seen much change in the industry of either the way people act or protocols or set rules um or even people speaking up more have you noticed any difference or does it feel pretty similar to how it was before uh i mean the difference I feel that people are are aware. I think what it's done on a on a positive light. It's it's allowed, let's say, the men, or I mean, sorry, the women, and some men maybe that feel, uh, you know, that they're being um, sexually harassed, or mm-hmm. or mentally harassed. Because there's also that mental harassment that goes on on film right. sets. It's disgusting, right? So I feel like now that there's a way for them to feel empowered and feel that they're not alone. But, but <laughs> the, 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 the guys, the men or some women, I mean, I, I mean, I can tell you of a woman who approached me like 15 years ago and she was super, she's super well-known mm-hmm. like an actress. I mean, <laughs> you know, who, some of the men 
will do it in a in a diff, they'll find a different way it's sort of i don't say it's a sickness mm. but it's like this they feel like they just want to do it mm-hmm. and and if and if and i notice that if they go well I, I, a perfect example is last year when i went to to morocco imagine this you you leave you go to italy and you go to morocco and and we had a camera assistant female camera assistant fantastic who worked with with me and it took her at least two or three weeks. And she finally said, hey, you know, can I just ask you something? I said, yeah, sure. And she goes, uh, and she spoke like four languages, including Italian. Okay. And yeah. she said, uh, do you know this camera assistant from Montreal called so-and-so? I go, yeah. And I looked at her and I go, oh, my God, don't tell me. She goes, well, you know, I last year he harassed me and I, I didn't, I, I tried telling you know, the DP. And I know who that DP is. Like, they're two local guys from Montreal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you didn't get any support? And she goes, no. And I wanted to quit, quit, and I was crying at home. I said, oh, my God. Well, that's all I needed to know. So mm-hmm. then when I got back, I, I hardly ever work. He's a focus puller. And the DP, I had never worked with that DP. Lo and behold, this past year, for the first time, this DP, I, I end up working with him for a brief mm-hmm. moment, you know. Didn't know him. And he was like, oh, hi. You know, it was all nice and friendly, you know, blah, blah, blah. Literally the same day, I said, hey, by the way, I just want to say someone says hi to you. I go, oh, she says who? Uh, really amazing uh, camera assistant that I know from, uh, from Marrakesh. And he looks at me and goes, oh, really? Uh, who? And I say it, the name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, she's good. She would, Well, you know, I didn't have to deal with her too much. I go, no, 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 no. You did have to deal with her. Because she came to you and said that so-and-so was sexually uh, harassing her. And you didn't do anything. He goes, well, you know. And then he goes, oh, you know, he's, he's just playful. I go, no, 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 no. What do you mean just playful? <laughs> oh my gosh you know what i mean so i think yeah. things things have changed on set uh-huh. and i think you know i think the the key is for i've always made myself available and 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 i found out recently that one of my camera assistants that i've known forever you know that she was harassed and she didn't she never told me mm-hmm. and yet we had a really we've always had a great open relationship and then there was another girl that told me about four years ago, and I went to the production uh, manager who was, thank God, she was a, a, a female, and fired him. This was like four years ago. Wow. Without saying that it was because of me or anything, but you know, right. she sort of didn't say the real reason, which now today might be better. In those days, mm-hmm. she made up a she made up a reason, and got him fired. Today, she can say, "Well, you sexually harassed him. You're out." Right. Which which is the main major change, you know. Okay. But uh, I think I think uh, uh, I think now if people I think now men and women will know who's who they can trust they can say that story to if something happens, you know. Because sometimes right. listen, sometimes even if you pick up the phone, there's a hotline now, right? And you pick up the phone and it's the lawyer of Disney and then the Disney and like, 
you know, that maybe that's not the support you need right away. Maybe you need like, you know, friendly support first Mm -hmm. and then you make that call. I just have one more question for you and I'm curious because it is related to COVID um, and the time that we're in. I'm curious what you think is next for the film industry uh, with everything that's going on. I don't know how the industry is going to, if it's going to shift. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's going to be in terms of Eticacy, of course, with all this stuff, the safety is going to be, it's going to be different. I hope it slows down. I hope it's ridiculous that when I go to Italy and work, they have 10 hour days, nine hours, actually it's eight hours and a half of actual work day and an hour and a half to eat. They're still making James Bond movies in Italy. So why, why, why is it 12 hour days? which are actually 14-hour days that sometimes are pushed to 16-hour days. Wow. Which is the norm. You know, like I average between 65 to 80 hours a week on a film set. That's crazy. That is not sustainable. It's not. I'm tired just hearing that. Yeah, yeah. Like who, who, like you're just destroying the fabric of family. You're destroying the fabric of a relationship, you know, if you're in one. What what about your your relationship with your your kids or or with your friends? I mean, this is all gone to waste. I mean, if I'm working in an office, doctors who do a way more important job, but you know they're working thirty hours a week or thirty five at the most forty. Why am I working sixty five hours a week to do a fantasy film? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's not worth it. It's, no. Yeah. What is it all for? What is it all for? Like like. Cut the hours, at least, but they're never going to do that. I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I would love that if you, if they would just go like five hours in the morning, eat an hour and a half, and then another four hours in the afternoon. Too bad if it takes 40 days to do a film instead of 30. Yeah. Everybody's going <laughs> to see their family. There's going to be less divorce, less, less, less domestic abuse, less, less alcohol. You know, less AAA members. I mean, come on, it's all related. And well, yeah, much more, much more balanced people, right, would be in the film industry if that, yeah, if the schedule allowed for it. Well, yeah, I mean, if if you walk on set and you, if you, if you're, if your family, <laughs> like, visits you on set, you're an anomaly. Like, oh my God, look, he's got a family. Mm-hmm. And then kids, oh my God. Like, that's so sad. It's very sad, I'm telling you. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I don't want to discourage yeah. you, but I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 no, I mean, it's the reality of it. I saw, I was looking at your IMDb profile and noticed that you worked on Jack Ryan. Yes. Did you, I think John Krasinski is one of, he's one of my like top three favorite actors. Did you meet him in that process of filming? Oh my God, we were like, we hit it off so well. He's amazing. He's so really? he's such a nice guy. I'm glad you said yeah. his name. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, yeah. He's uh, he's amazing. I was I was the operator for for that show. And, okay. And in fact, uh, the second season, which was not shot in Montreal, um, uh, he called me, wanted me to join him in Colombia and in um, and in the I think it was shot in Colombia. Uh, oh yeah yeah when they yeah yeah columbia and new york okay. and a little in vancouver i believe no new york okay. columbia 
and I couldn't go. And then he and oh. then he got his he got his assistant Allison, who was on set all the time, to call mm-hmm. me again in case I changed my mind. He's he's a sweetheart. He's a that's awesome. He's super I'm glad nice. to hear that because yeah, he yeah. seems like a real he seems like a real down to earth person. Uh, well, just from what I've seen he, of him, he, but. he totally is, and he would he he loved like there was this really funny like uh, director who the director of Imitation Game. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he did the pilot of the show, and he had a very th- okay. He has a very thick Norwegian accent, you know. Oh, so, interesting. So when he would say my name, it was it would just make John laugh, you know. <laughs> and so every time he would say. Because people call me Fonzie or Fonz, you know, whatever for short. Uh huh. And and then he would say Fonz, you know. I'm, uh, but he would say it, so. John would imitate him. He would say Fonz or Fonzie in this heavy Norwegian accent, and and sometimes yeah. and and the guy would say after a, a shot, he would say, you know, Fonzie, that was amazing, and and and, and John would imitate it all the time. <laughs> and, and just to show you how how nice he is, and very like down to earth, because you know who, yeah. you know his wife is is um, uh, what's her name Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt, right? yeah. And so one day she visits the set, and it's 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 just before um, we're just about to get back to set, and so we're all we're all uh, sitting around, just uh, standing around, just before going into the studio. It was a studio was a studio day. And he and he 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 comes back and he's holding, so holding Emily's hand. He's like rushing her. He goes, wait, wait, I, I want you to meet Fonz. I want, and she's like, Fonz? He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's a long story. He's told me about it. It's a long story. And she walks in and she's like laughing and she's like very British, you know. And she yeah. goes, hi. So, so, so there's a bromance. Uh, so so she goes, you know, there's a bromance with you and my husband. I go, well, uh, just we're just laughing. He goes, oh, it's so nice to meet you. And and then we spoke like for like 15 minutes, and it was like, wow. and just you know, very down to earth. What did you do this mm-hmm. weekend? You know, and of course he loves sports, so he, he spoke a lot about sports and mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he's a, I'm a he's a great guy. So I can tell you that he's That's a nice awesome. great guy. <laughs> yeah. I will I will say that I DM'd him on Instagram oh, because did you? of course that's the only way I know how to get in touch with him. And of course I haven't heard back, but he's on my list and I want to get him on my podcast. So you can put in a good word for me, right? Oh yeah, for sure, for <laughs> with sure. With your bromance with him. Well, you know, if you if you if you uh you could even you, you could even use my name if you if you were okay. if, uh, you say, Hey, I just had a great conversation with the yeah. with the camera operator, D uh, DP uh uh, yeah, from Montreal, who worked with you on Jack Ryan. <laughs> yeah, he's really he's one really day. funny. One day, if it ever happens. One day. Yeah. Yep. I don't know how much. Well, I thank have. you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing, and okay. um, yeah, that was awesome to catch up and was really hear great. what you're into. Yeah, great. Well, thank you, and um, wishing you all the best of luck. Okay, John, you have heard it from Alfonso himself. So hit me up if you want to do an interview. I would not turn that down. On another note, if you guys are enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could subscribe and rate it wherever you listen. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Curiosity Cast. For more content and episodes, you can visit www.thecuriositycast.com or follow us on Instagram at the Curiosity Cast. 
stay curious.